Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As you can tell from our reading today, our, most of our, my message will be about forgiveness. Today's gospel lesson shows Jesus offering practical advice to his disciples on how individuals and the church as a whole should go about restoring relationships when one member has sinned against another. This seems like a daunting task and one that most of us would be inclined to stay away from. Our first inclination might be to recall John 8, verse 7, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Or Matthew 7, verse 3, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but ignore the log in your own eye? But today's lesson is about a reasonable, well-thought-out, step-by-step formula for dealing with sin in a way that is loving and forgiving. Today, many are quick to judge whether they have all the facts or not. We often turn away in hatred, resentment, seek revenge, or engage in gossip. One fellow had his own way of dealing with his neighbor by writing him a letter. Dear Frank, We've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music. When your dog did his business all over my lawn, you laughed. I could go on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I am writing this letter to tell you that your house is on fire. Cordially, Bob. Guidelines for dealing with conflict are number one met for Christians, not non-believers, sins against you and not others, and conflict resolution in the context of the church, not the community at large. Jesus wasn't condoning being a busybody. His words are not a license for a frontal attack on every person who hurts or slights us. They are not to be used to start a gossip campaign or call for a church trial. They are designed to reconcile our fellow members so that all Christians can live in harmony. Let's read through the lesson again, verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. We should go to that person first, as difficult as that may be. Don't put it on social media. We should use careful and caring conversation. In other words, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you made a friend. Now verse 16. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. These witnesses are not to merely report on the offender's attitude, but also to check on the validity of the accusation. The accuser is not always right. A quote from one Bible commentary states, should anyone enjoy carrying out this task, it is clear evidence that he is not suited to it. Verse 17, if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, 
let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Only when the witnesses has been, have been ignored does the whole church come into consideration. Among believers, there is no court of appeals beyond the church. This does not imply that the church has washed their hands of the offender or just kicked that person to the curb. This means that you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. Pastor Kay Jacobson states, the emphasis doesn't lie with casting the person out of the church. The goal is to name the sin and the damage that it does, to speak truth to the situation, and through honest, loving conversation in the name of Jesus to regain that one. Jesus instructs us that those who do not repent and refuse to listen are to be treated as Gentiles and tax collectors. But irony alert, Jesus is a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Using the term Gentiles and tax collectors shows that Matthew is writing primarily to Jewish Christians and Gentile and tax collector describe from a pious Jewish perspective people whose relations with God and with neighbor are fatally flawed. The passage preceding today's gospel story is the story of the lost sheep. Matthew 18 verse 12 states, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you that he rejoices over it more than the other 99 that never went astray. The entire church community is summoned to help regain the one straying sheep. Jesus has been the good shepherd, but now the disciples must be shepherds to one another. They must seek the lost ones. Jesus tells us that we are obligated to go and confront the person whom we believe sinned against us. The sin that another member commits is not just a sin against the person injured, rather as a sin against the whole church. This is the people who love one another so intensely that they refuse to risk the loss of one who has gone astray. They see the person who sins as a stumbling block but they extend an invitation to come home. Peter asked Jesus, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus tells him not seven times, but 77 times. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth that is retained will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth that is forgiven will be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing has to do with the authority to forgive sins. Those who are forgiven cannot bind others. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What we say to one another is eternal. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about everything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. When two people, formerly estranged, now agree on earth 
and share and offer a shared request to God, they tap awesome power. This biblical method for solving disputes and divisions among congregations is not archaic or something relegated to the past. And I have our a copy here of our Zion Constitution. It's chapter 15, Discipline of Members and Adjudication. Denial of the Christian faith as described in this Constitution, conduct grossly unbecoming a member of the Church of Christ, or persistent troublemaking in this congregation are sufficient cause for discipline of a member. Prior to disciplinary action, reconciliation must be attempted following Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. So that is still, it's in our congregation and in our constitution and it can be used to this day if that would be needed. Um, most Christians assume that the leaders of the church are the only ones responsible for discipline. But Martin Luther states, every believer has the authority to forgive sins in Jesus' name. By virtue of Jesus' death for all, we are all responsible before God in maintaining the purity of the flock. And in closing, I'd just like to share a story about forgiveness that happened while I was on vacation last week. We were in Charleston, South Carolina, taking a tour of the city on a small bus, and the tour guide stopped in front of Emanuel AME Church, uh, where on June 17, 2015, gunman Dylan Roof opened fire during a Bible study in hopes of starting a race war. Um, nine African-American congregants were killed and one was injured. And uh, he has since been tried and he's serving nine life sentences. But the tour guide stated that the church has since forgiven the shooter and his actions of that day. And the bus was silent. I thought, what a powerful message, forgiveness for a stranger, forgiveness towards one another, and forgiveness for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.